Hey, good day to you. I am Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good week. We are recording this on Tuesday morning. So we, uh, we're feeling pretty good, actually. The Bills, 13-3, and three, didn't see it coming. And, you know, before I get into that, and before I get into the playoffs and all what we want to talk about today, the NFL pulled this off. And I think that's something that can't be overlooked. We as football fans, and if you think about football and why it's different from every other sport, we all have fantasy teams. We all are our pools. Some people bet. Some people just are fans of going to watching games, whatever the case may be. Football's different than all the other sports. So in this year of pandemic, when football was going to try to just be normal, think about it. Baseball, they had a 60-game season. It basically wasn't even a season, but whatever. It was what it was. The hockey and basketball, they went in bubbles. Football? No, we're, we're going to play 16 games in 17 weeks. We're going to plow through. We don't care about the integrity of the schedule. We don't te- care about the integrity of the season. We're going to give our TV partners what they pay us for, and we're going to just move forward. And they did. And I don't know if it's commendable to throw competitive balance out the window the way they did in some cases. See Denver with no quarterbacks. Even New Orleans last weekend with no running backs. I mean, things that happen that normally can't happen in an NFL season were just things you had to deal with. Pittsburgh and Baltimore playing on a Wednesday afternoon at 3 o'clock. It was a strange season, but the NFL and Roger Goodell, and I'm not a Goodell fan whatsoever, they plowed through. And here we are onto the playoffs, and this weekend there are six games. I hope covid does not affect the playoffs in a negative way. And I don't know what the NFL will do. If you have a team that loses a quarterback because of COVID or loses a couple key players, it changes the playoffs completely. I'm not sure the NFL is able to just say, well, screw it. We're playing anyway. Get on with it because that is really tough for a team to take. I hope it doesn't happen, but we'll see what happens if it does. Onto the Bills, 13-3. and three. I thought this team would be better. I thought this schedule would be tougher, and I figured 10 wins was going to be a good year. Win the AFC East? Yeah, that, that sounds good. 13-3, and three, a number two seed, only behind Kansas City. If they face Kansas City in the playoffs, it'll be a road game. Everyone else has to come to Rich Stadium, or if you want to call it the Ralph, whatever. I'm not calling it Bills Stadium. I won't do it. But there are going to be fans there this weekend. I think that's pretty cool. Finally, something our governor did that I kind of agree with. That's maybe a first ever. But, yeah, good to see that there will be fans there. I personally think it's it's fine because in the 65,000-seat stadium, to put almost 7,000 people in there, talk about socially distant, it, it, it certainly will be socially distant. The Bills on Sunday played the Dolphins in – you know, this is a game that's weird because Dolphins, they needed it to get in. The Bills doesn't mean a whole lot. You want to get the second seed, but likely with Pittsburgh resting their starters, and the Bills knew that, McDermott knew that, it's a game that's hard to get up for. And, and as a player, as a starter, it's hard not to have a slightly different mindset. Now, I know you're professional, you get paid, all that crap that we as fans always say, but it's still human being. That's going out there. And if they know, well, I'm going to play a quarter, half, it's not the same mindset. And the Bills came out sluggish. And Josh Allen throws a pick, a hell of a play by Byron Jones early on. Maybe the best thing that happened to the Bills on that day. Because I think that was a slap in the face. And Miami, again, needed to get something going. Dolphins come down and kick a field goal, take a three to nothing lead. And then... Josh Allen became Josh Allen again. And and this is amazing to me because Josh now, the expectations are what we saw Sunday. His numbers on Sunday were great yet again, 18 to 25, 224, three touchdowns, the one pick. And that's in one half of football. Throws two touchdowns to Isaiah McKenzie, 
who also had an unbelievable punt return for a touchdown. Good for McKenzie. He throws a nice deep ball to John Brown. Welcome back, John Brown. Caught four balls, 72 yards. Had that one touchdown. By the way, four balls on four targets, John Brown caught. So I think he is back in the mix and ready to go for the playoffs. But this is the Bills 2020. They are an offensive juggernaut. They scored over 500 points. Josh Allen for the season, 69.2% completion percentage in 16 games. I never would have thought Josh Allen is close to a 70% completion guy. I didn't buy into the inaccuracy talk the way others did. I thought Allen in time could become a good NFL quarterback. I didn't think he'd be a great NFL quarterback, especially not in year three. But almost 70% completion percentage, over 4,500 yards, 37 touchdowns. He had threw 10 picks, 37 and 10. I, I can live with that ratio. He had a 107.2 quarterback rating, gained 421 yards on the ground, another eight TDs rushing, caught a pass. That means for the year, 4,977 total yards, 46 total touchdowns. Just an unbelievable year for Josh Allen. He will be, at worst, the third choice on most ballots for NFL MVP. The Bills are going to have to pay this young man an exorbitant fee, 35 to $40 million a year. I think they could keep him next year on his rookie deal and redo his deal before the fifth-year option kicks in to allow them next year to re-sign guys like Matt Milano. He is my number one offseason wish for the Bills, but in the offseason, that's, that's hopefully a little bit way, a little ways down the road. But Josh Allen, again, the strides he took, the work he put in with Carson Palmer, the mental work he did with Tony Romo through phone calls, it's a credit to that young man. It's a credit to Brian Dable. It's a credit to Ken Dorsey, the quarterback's coach. It's just fun to see that the Bills now have their franchise quarterback, and this kid is the face of a franchise that, I think pretty much everybody would want to be the face of the franchise. He has fun. He answers questions team first. He is great with the fans, great with the media. And again, he's young, and let's hope he doesn't get shaded. And let's hope all of this continues because, unfortunately, what we do, not just in Western New York, but this is American sports, we build a guy up. We put him at the top, and you see it right now with Steph Curry. And I'm no Steph Curry fan. I say all the time, I think he's one of the most overrated players who's going to end up in the Hall of Fame. And I know that sounds weird, but it can happen. Nolan Ryan, similarly, an overrated Hall of Famer. Yes, he deserves to be a Hall of Famer, but when you talk about one of the two or three best players of all time, he doesn't belong in the conversation. Neither does Steph Curry. But Steph last not, uh, last week put up 62 points as a screw you to all of the people giving him crap over the last year and a half. Well, the media built Steph up. That's why the media now is taking him down. Everyone's building Josh Allen up. If he comes back next year and struggles, how quickly will everyone turn on him? And how does a young man who's had to battle for everything he's had, now he's got great success. If he doesn't match these numbers next year, what is the narrative and what is the reaction to that narrative? So it'll be interesting to see where things go from here with Josh, but certainly an amazing year. Stefan Diggs, of course, big part of that reason. Diggs finishes the season leading the NFL in yards and receptions. He had 127 catches. And his completion percentage, his catch rate, 76% of the passes thrown to him were caught this year. That's amazing. That really is because, again, as a number one wideout, you want the ball. And, and a lot of times I've talked about this, quarterbacks force it to their main guy. And because of that, their completion percentage to that guy isn't that good. Stefan Diggs is such a great route runner. He gets open so often that Allen is able to make him the leading catch catcher of footballs in the league this year. 
without forcing a ton of passes that shouldn't be thrown. And, and that's another impressive part of the growth of Josh Allen and the ability of Stefan Diggs to get open. Really good stuff. Isaiah McKenzie, I was real happy to see him score the three touchdowns on Sunday because I think he's a guy who's a key part of this Bills team. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about him when I talk about the playoff preview with with the game against Indy because I think Isaiah McKenzie may be one of the most important players to think about this week coming up. Antonio Williams is a running back who hasn't dressed very much this year, rookie free agent. This kid had a game on Sunday that it's one of those 30, 40 years from now, Antonio Williams will be sitting back watching football, drinking a beer, talking about the day he scored a couple of touchdowns. Who knows where his career goes from here? Does he get an opportunity? He showed he could play in the league. But, yeah, it, it's it's good to see some of these young guys really getting an opportunity and taking advantage of that opportunity. So good stuff there. And, and how about Josh Norman with a pick six and Dean Marlowe, a couple interceptions. Overall, just a really good game for Buffalo. You, you look at Miami, too. They need to win coming in. I've said it a number of times. I love what Brian Flores has done down in South Florida. I think he is the right coach for that team. They drafted Tua Tagovailoa this year, and Tua has shown some good things and shown some weaknesses. Sunday, he threw for 361, threw three picks, threw it 58 times. The Bills made the Dolphins play from behind and play catch-up. Tua's not there yet as a quarterback, not ready to do that. The interesting thing, too, is with the Dolphins having the third pick in the draft, we know who likely picks one and two are going to be. Likely Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville, and either the Jets trade out or they decide to go with Justin Fields, who looked great in the game against Clemson. So we'll see where it goes from here, but sitting at number three, does Miami go all in with Tua? Have they seen enough to think he's going to be the guy? And here's here's a problem with the modern NFL. Josh Allen in year three, we're talking about the huge jump he's taken. There's also guys like Sam Darnold, who I don't think has improved since he's been at USC. How long do you wait to develop your quarterback? You invested in Tua. You have a chance possibly to trade up. I, I don't think Jacksonville would ever move out of number one. But if they only slid back to number three, if they really liked either Justin Fields or maybe Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU or somebody else, maybe they could be tempted to move off of Trevor Lawrence. Does Miami think about making that move? And you trade the three and their other pick with Tua to Jacksonville for number one. If you're Jacksonville, do you think about that? It, it, this is the conversation that I'm sure has already begun in the Dolphins' offices, what to do with the quarterback position going forward. And, and it's funny that the way the game transpired on Sunday, I'm pretty sure Brian Flores would have gone to Fitz for an attempted comeback, which would have been a lot of fun for Bills fans to see a quarterback that they love try to come back against their team. It, it was an interesting game for a lot of ways. And again, the Bills, they got it done. That's all that matters. Week 17, game 16, they go out and throw 56 up on the Dolphins. It, it's just been impressive. The last six games, averaging close to 40 points a game, winning all six. They're on a roll, and they're a team that if they continue offensively, I think has a real chance this year to get to a Super Bowl. And we'll, you know, don't want to get ahead of ourselves because I'm about to talk about Indianapolis and this is not going to be an easy game. You're in the playoffs. No game should be easy in the playoffs. It's just the way it is. You know, Washington's playing Tampa. That's not going to be an easy game for Tom Brady. No easy games in the playoffs. So I, I do think the Bills. There's only one team in the league right now that I think if they play their best and the Bills play their best, only Kansas City's a team I don't think the Bills can beat. Other than that, they can beat everybody. But they better show up and better be ready to play. And I think last year going, having that 16-0 lead, finding a way to lose to Houston 
is going to be something that they're going to draw on this week in preparation and get ready to go. Let's talk about Indianapolis. This is a team that's very complete. They have an excellent young defense. They have a quarterback who can throw it a little bit, Phillip Rivers. They have a running back in Jonathan Taylor who had 240 yards on Sunday, over 1,000 for the year and 11 touchdowns. They've got a great offensive line. You throw those elements together, and it's a team that's very much to be reckoned with. Let's start with the offensive line and the running game because I think that's where the Bills enter the playoffs most vulnerable. A team that can run the football against them is going to be a team that gives them the most problems. Now, Phillip Rivers at this point, he's 39 years old. He threw 11 interceptions this year, 24 touchdowns. He's not the Phillip Rivers that would throw it around and routinely throw for 300 yards in his days in San Diego as a Charger. It just isn't the same guy. He's probably going to retire after this year. And I hope, I hope as much as I like Phillip Rivers, that Saturday is his last game ever as an NFL quarterback. I'd like for the Bills to end his season. He's not mobile. But again, with the offensive line in front of him, the Bills need to find a way to get pressure on him. He will turn it over. In his career in the playoffs, he's thrown 10 picks in 11 career playoff games. It's part of what he is, what he does. He takes chances. Later in his career now, when the arm isn't quite as strong, he still makes the throws that his mind told him he could make 10 years ago. Unfortunately, the arm doesn't get the ball there. That leads to some bad decisions and some bad picks. He's only completed in the playoffs 59% of his passes. His career playoff quarterback rating is only at 84. Hasn't been great in big games. The Bills need to find a way to make the Colts one-dimensional. Take Jonathan Taylor out of the game. and To me, there's a simple way to do that. Jump out to an early lead. The Bills have been great with a scripted beginning. Brian Dayball scripting plays to start, getting the Bills into position to take leads. It's been a really impressive thing to watch, and it's been fun for me to watch Dayball evolve as a play caller. I really think that we'll see when this game begins, the Bills are going to be very aggressive offensively. I think they're going to look to take a shot early. I think they're going to try to get ahead. And again, you get up by 14 in the playoffs, the other team has to react. And that takes Jonathan Taylor out of the game. Because if it's a close game, I don't know that the Bills defense with that indie offensive line can slow down Taylor enough. Here are my keys to the game. And I think the biggest one is the turnover battle. The turnover battle is huge in every game and obviously in the playoffs. But Indianapolis this year is plus 10 in turnovers. That's second best in the NFL. It shows their defense takes the ball away a lot because, again, as I mentioned, Phillip Rivers can give it up. The Bills are plus four. Whoever wins the playoff, whoever wins the turnover battle wins this game. Pressure on Josh Allen to take care of the football. Again, you want Allen to be aggressive and play loose. However, take care of the football. Field goals don't win playoff games. We saw that last year in Houston. The Bills were very content to kick field goals. They didn't win the game because they didn't score touchdowns. When the opportunity presents, score touchdowns. It's huge. Again, get up early and force Rivers to be the guy to beat you. I think that's a huge key to this game. Sean McDermott last year against the Texans in the playoffs, I thought managed his worst game of his career. I I thought he overreacted to the situation in the moment. He wasn't ready. I think he's improved game management this year, but I still have questions in a big game about his ability to manage the game. How does he do? And that's where I think he needs to look in the mirror, self-scout, and coach differently. This is win and go home, win or go home. And when it's that situation, you have to put it out there. You can't be conservative. You need to take chances as a head coach. And I think McDermott needs to do that this time. I need to, I think he needs to be a much better coach 
than he was last year against Houston. The Bills need a special teams play. The special teams this year have been greatly improved, and I think that shows the overall strength of the roster. But you look at the three specialists they have, Tyler Bass, Corey Bjorquez, and Andre Roberts. These three guys have been very good, especially the second half of the season. But Tyler Bass is still a rookie rookie, rookie kicker. It, it, things can go bad in the playoffs for kickers. Guys, get in, you get in your own head a little. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Bjorquez has been a weapon. Led the NFL in putting, led the NFL in net punting. He is certainly a field position changer. And I think in a defensive game, if especially if this turns out to be that, and I, for the Bills' sake, hope it doesn't, he is a weapon. And Andre Roberts can change games through the return game. We saw it with Isaiah McKenzie last Sunday with the punt return. One big return to either score a touchdown, obviously, or give the Bills great field possession could change a tight game late. I think that's something that needs to happen. Defensively, I know the Bills need to find a way to get pressure on Phillip Rivers, but I think almost as important this week is going to be the play of their two-star linebackers, Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano. I need 10 tackles from each of those two guys. I need them both flying all over the field making plays. This needs to be a game that the linebackers' feet are kept clean by the defensive line, and they make plays all over the field in the short passing game where Phillip Rivers loves to go, loves to go to his backs. This is an opportunity for these two guys to really shine. And I think quietly, maybe the most important part of this game plan, and we kind of saw it last week, Cole Beasley's likely out. And, and if he plays, how effective is he going to be with what I believe is a knee injury? I, I know it's classified as a leg injury, but based on the way he was hurt and what the doctors seem to be looking at on the bench, I do believe it's a knee injury that Beasley has. My question is this. Isaiah McKenzie, who scored three touchdowns last week, is a very good slot receiver. He's not Cole Beasley. Beasley's uncoverable out of the slot. With John Brown back, Diggs obviously being there, Gabriel Davis taking a big step forward, who is the guy that replaces Cole Beasley? You could do a couple things. You could put Stephon Diggs in the slot, but then you got to replace him on the outside. I think Isaiah McKenzie is going to be a key to this game. They love to do the jet motion with him and with him in the game more. You can run him side to side jet sweeps that aren't necessarily jet sweeps, but just get the defense moving that way. I think he's somebody who's reliable as a pass catcher. Again, not Cole Beasley, but he should be able to give the Bills something in the slot. This game, I do think the Bills will win. I think it's going to be closer than people think. I'm looking at 30-27 to 27 Buffalo, a late backdoor cover by Phillip Rivers. But this game should be a real good, good test. And, again, it's step one. This win, if they get it, means very little. It just means they get to play again. And hopefully, again, the loss last year gets the mindset that's necessary this year. So Bills in the playoffs is going to be fun. The rest of Week 17 was interesting. I mean, there was a lot of games that were garbage and didn't matter. The thing that everyone came out talking about was the Philadelphia-Washington game. Now, the Washington football team wins the NFC East because they beat Philadelphia. That's all that really needs to be said about it, except for the way it transpired. Before I talk about how it transpired, I want you to listen to Jason Kelsey, who is the Eagles' great center. Maybe retiring after this year, maybe back, but he's one of the best centers in the NFL. And I want you to hear how important winning is to a guy like Jason Kelsey. exciting time whenever somebody's going out there for the first time um that being said i think at all times in the nfl the focus should be winning the football game 
Uh, nothing else takes precedence. No player evaluation. No uh, amount of curiosity from anybody within the organization. Uh, everything is focused, in this, in my opinion, in this league, upon winning games. Uh, you see a lot of losing teams sustain losses for a number of years uh, when they have bad cultures. They have cultures where you don't try and win every week, where you're trying to think, what are we going to do in the draft? What are we going to do in the free agency? What can we do over here? Um, you know, in football, this isn't basketball. One draft pick isn't going to make us a Super Bowl champion. It might be a big start to a Super Bowl championship, but it's always going to be about the team. Uh, that's the greatest thing about this sport and, and culture and, and, and the way guys fight and the way guys go to prepare and the guy, way guys, uh, you know, uh, go about their business is a huge reason for success in this league and in this sport. So nothing takes precedence over trying to win a football game. I don't care who you're trying to evaluate. I don't care if you've lost every game, your own 15, and it's the last one you got. Everything is about winning in this league. And I know that that, you know, and I know that that, that won't appease a lot of people out there that always want to talk about getting better draft positions or getting uh, looks at certain guys to see what you got for the future. But again, the moment a team feels like you as an organization aren't doing your job to, for me to go out there and win, all of a sudden you've put, you've shown who you are. You don't care about me or this team. You care about the future. You care about this. That's not what the focus is here. That's not what the focus is on any winning organization's team. If you're watching the video version of this podcast, you know know this already. If you're just listening to it, let me throw something at you. Jason Kelsey's got the best mullet in the NFL, and it's not even close. So you think about Kelsey, and you think about him getting ready to play football. And – a game that's meaningless on paper, maybe for the Eagles, that guy's not going to half-ass it. Yet when the Eagles go out there against Washington, sometimes management has a different agenda, a very different agenda. The players want to play to win. And, and you know, we, we as fans talk about tanking. You tank for Tua, you know, tank for Trevor, whatever. Suck for Sam was one of the things a couple of years ago. We talk about that as fans and possibly management thinks about that. But the players going out there, they want to win. This game was tight into the second half until Doug Peterson decided not to go for a tying field goal from the six-yard line on fourth and goal. Just didn't make sense to me, but, you know, analytics are what they are. And I'm old school. You tie it up. You're playing at home, and you hope to, to get something done. But then – the Eagles took it to the next level because they subbed out Jalen Hurts and brought in Nate Sudfeld. Now, the reason given was they wanted to take a look at Sudfeld. Sudfeld's been on the Eagles roster for four years now. Four years of practice, you don't know what you've got. You don't know what this guy is after four years of practice. Now, i got to say this. Jalen Hurts wasn't good in this game. Seven of 20 for 72 yards in a pick. But again, you draft a rookie quarterback, you want to get him as many reps as you can. Carson Wentz was inactive for this game. He was dressed like we are, watching the game on the sideline. Think about the reaction to a guy like Jason Kelsey when Doug Peterson tells the team, or whoever tells the team, that Nate Sudfeld is going in at quarterback. Could not have gone over well. Now, Peterson will be back most likely. It's been said he'll be back as a coach. But I got to think, if things don't start off well, a guy like Kelsey, you just lost him. You got to win him back now because you didn't play to win. You didn't do what you always say you're going to do. Now, the, the team that's been out of shape about this is the New York Giants. The Giants, they beat the Cowboys and it was such a typical Cowboy. You want to talk about 2020 for the Cowboys? The end of the game, the Cowboys had the ball first and goal at like the seven-yard line. They get a sack on first down by, I'm sorry, Andy Dalton gets sacked on first down. They lose like 12 yards. So now they're back to the 19-yard line, still second and goal. 
second down pass to C.D. Lamb, which he just drops in stride at the eight-yard line. I don't know if he would have scored, but it would have been third and goal inside the five at worst. And then on third down under pressure, Dalton throws a pick. It just was very typical of this Cowboy year. So the Giants end up winning. And the Giants are sitting back thinking if Philly wins, they're going to get themselves a playoff berth. Listen to Joe Judge without naming anybody in particular, basically calling out the Eagles as a sham organization for quitting on Sunday. Obviously, players have asked me throughout the day, and, and I just can't express that. I think one thing to keep in mind with this season is we had a lot of people opt in to this season. Okay. We had a lot of people opt in. All right. Coaches, players, that includes family members as well. All right. So to look at a group of grown men who I asked to give me effort on a day in, day out basis and to empty the tank, and then I can look them in the eye and assure them that I'm always going to do everything I can to put them at a competitive advantage and play them in a position of strength. To me, you don't ever want to disrespect those players and their effort and disrespect the game. The sacrifices that they made to come into work every day and test before coming in, to sit in meetings spaced out, to wear masks, to have shields over those masks, to go through extensive protocols, to travel in unconventional ways, to get text messages at 6.30 in the morning telling practice is going to be canceled, we have to do a virtual day, okay? To tell them, please don't have your family over for Thanksgiving. Please avoid Christmas gatherings. We know it's your wife's birthday. Let's make sure we put that one off to the offseason. There's a number of sacrifices that have been made by all the players and coaches in this league. There's a number of sacrifices that come along as well with the family members and the people connected to them. To disrespect the effort that everyone put forward to make this season a success for the National Football League, to disrespect the game by going out there and not competing for 60 minutes and doing everything you can to help those players win, we will never do that as long as I'm the head coach of the New York Giants. I like Joe Judge. I think he has a real good chance to be the most successful Belichick disciple there is. I mean, you look at the Belichick coaching tree, Bill O'Brien right now statistically is the best. Mike Vrabel, I guess, is better statistically, but Vrabel was a player, not a coach. Joe Judge was a coach. Again, I I don't necessarily think he's a bad coach, but I got to say this, and I like what he just said. I really do. But you can't bitch if you won six games. The Giants finished this year 6-10. and Their win over the Cowboys on Sunday, a bad Cowboys team. Nobody will argue differently. Bad Cowboys team, that was their sixth win of the year. You, you have no right to whine. You have no right to bitch. Shut up. Get ready for next year. I think you got some really good foundational pieces. Get Saquon Barkley back. Maybe turn this thing around. But, you know, you look at Washington and look at what they went through. Their quarterback situation, they, they, they threw their quarterback to the curb after last week's game. They bring back Alex Smith, the guy who had 17 surgeries on his broken leg a couple of years ago. They, their head coach fought cancer and had to go through camp while getting his chemo treatments. Yet here they are in the playoffs. Washington earned it more than the Giants because they won seven games and the Giants won six. Again, I can see why the Giants are upset, but you can't bitch. Look in the mirror. It's your own fault. You're not a seven win team. You're a six win team. You have no right to complain about not getting in the playoffs. Just plain and simple. Again, I like what Judge said. You know, we're going to play to win, but think about that next time. You're in a situation. Philly did what's best for their franchise. And and though you might not like it, think about this. By losing, Philly went from the ninth pick in the draft to the sixth pick in the draft. The value chart. Every pick has a value. It means that that jump is 250 points. That's how much that pick is worth. 250 more points for the sixth pick from the ninth pick. It's the equivalent 
of the fourth pick in the third round. So if you're at nine and you trade a third round pick to get up to six, and actually you'd need to trade more than that because that's the base, that's a starting point, if you will. You think about that. You went from nine to six. You made a trade. And all you did is run out there a quarterback you've had on your roster for four years. He's been a good soldier, and you gave him an opportunity. Yeah, I think you lost your locker room in the process. And I think it's going to be hard to get a guy like Kelsey or like Carson Wentz back on board. Philly's got a clean house this year and start over. But they got the sixth pick in the draft to do it. I, I don't like what they did, but I understand why they did it. And it's made sense for them to do it. Cleveland beat Pittsburgh, so they ended their playoff drought. First time the new Browns have been in the playoffs since 2002, only the second time ever the new Browns, if you will, came back in 98, have been in the playoffs. They gave up 300 passing yards to Mason Rudolph. Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. But hung on to win 24-22. Celebrations in Cleveland, big time. Happy for the Browns. They get to play the Steelers again this week. The game of the week may have been this, the Titans in Houston. Titans needing a win to get in. If not, Miami gets in. They get a 37-yard field goal that doinks off the the upright at the horn to win this game and avoid overtime. Travis Henry went for 250, gave him 2,027 yards to – for the season. And you think about that 2,027 yards. He's now the eighth rusher to have a 2000 yard season. Of course, the beheader OJ Simpson was the first to do it. Eric Dickerson was the old all time record. Did it as well. 2,105 yards. The record Barry Sanders, Terrell Davis, still not a hall of famer. Great season. Couple great seasons. Not a hall of famer. Jamal Lewis. Everyone forgets about Jamal Lewis should be a Hall of Famer. Look at his numbers. Tell me he's not a Hall of Famer. Chris Johnson and Adrian Peterson were the others to have a 2,000-yard season. Derrick Henry now the eighth member of that crew and 250 yards in a game that they needed to win. It goes into the playoffs. He's going to have tired legs. He carried the ball 30 times last week. Let's see what Derrick Henry could do in the playoffs. The other part of the story and it's not only the story of this game, it's the story of this season, was how great Deshaun Watson was. Watson threw for 365, had three touchdowns, threw a pick on Sunday. The Texans, who don't have a first or second round pick, they gave up the third overall pick to Miami. This is a a team that I don't know how they retool around this young quarterback. But Watson for the year, 70.2% completion percentage, 4,800 at 23 yards, 112 quarterback rating, 33 touchdowns. What an unbelievable year. And he has nothing around him. It's it's amazing what he's done. My suggestion, and I think the Bills should be a part of this plan, if I'm the new GM of the Texans, I'm going to thank J.J. Watt for all the amazing contributions he has made to that franchise. I'm going to trade him for a first-round draft pick and try to get back into the draft as much as I can. And the team that I think it makes a ton of sense, it fills an immediate need, it's the Buffalo Bills. They'll have a late first-round pick. You're not going to get anyone anywhere close to the immediate impact that Watt would give you. Get two or three years out of them, yes, maybe win a championship. So that would be a great thing to see. So Week 17 wraps it up for a lot of teams. Locker cleanouts, coaches now. Six openings. Of course, Bill O'Brien and Dan Quinn and Matt Patricia, they'd all been fired during the year. Doug Marone, Adam Gase, Anthony Lynn all got gassed yesterday. Anthony Lynn is a guy I feel bad about because I really like him. I think he is a guy who will land on his feet. He may be one of those guys who's just not a head coach. Certainly want him on your staff. And if he's your offensive coordinator or assistant head coach, absolutely. But the team struggled in too many areas directly related to the head coach. Can't have that. you got to be better. We'll see where it goes. And that Chargers opening, if I'm Brian Dayball and I have a choice of openings, Jacksonville, the owner wants to be involved in 
The decision-making, he's already put that out there. No. The Jets, no. They're the Jets, although Joe Douglas is getting things going in the right direction. Man, if I'm a coach and I have an opportunity with Justin Herbert there, Joey Bosa on the other side, if they ever get Derwin James healthy at safety again, kid's just a stud. I think there's so much talent and you have a high draft pick again, you're going to have an opportunity to add to it. You play in a huge market. Free agents can come there. I think if Brian Dable does leave and as somebody roots for the Bills, I hope he doesn't. I think that the Chargers would be my first choice if I'm Brian Dable. There are seven, seven general manager openings. Yesterday, John Elway fired himself and gave himself a promotion at the same time. That's when you know you're good, by the way. If you can say, you know what, not as good at my job as I should be, I'm going to give myself a promotion and hire somebody to do my job better than I was doing it. That's what John Elway did. Can't find the quarterback. He never has been able to find the quarterback other than Peyton Manning for those two years. He just couldn't draft and develop one. You think of the misses with Tebow and Osweiler and now maybe Drew Locke. I just don't see it with Drew Locke, but again – it's only been two years. Let's see. Let's let the kid develop. The draft, I mentioned that the Jags have the number one overall pick. They have two picks in the first round. They've got a ton of draft capital, ton of free agent money. They're going to get a head coach and GM partnership there that I think will turn things around fairly quickly. But if I'm a GM candidate, again, and you're the owner and you're telling me you want final say over the roster, how much film do you watch Mr. Owner, how much time do you spend in the meetings with our scouts, with our coaches, breaking down film, seeing why player A should stay and player B should go? I just don't think it's a good idea. I get it. You own the team. You can do whatever you want. But there's a reason you're paying guys three, four, five million dollars a year to do their job. Let them do it. Let them make the decisions that are best for the franchise. Jets, I think, had a good weekend, even though they didn't play very well. They have the second pick. But Justin Fields on New Year's Day was really good against Clemson. He has a chance to be really good again next Monday night against Alabama in the championship game. And if that's the case, that two pick becomes even more interesting because the Jets, they got to figure out what to do with Sam Darnold. Do you keep him? Do you trade him? Do you take a quarterback there? Do you trade down? Do you take somebody else? It's going to be a hard draft to nail because a lot of the better prospects opted out this year, didn't play college football. So you have one less year of tape to study them on. It's going to be hard to make sure you get this draft right. Miami with the third pick. Again, we talked about it earlier. A lot of questions there. Atlanta at four retooling for sure. Cincinnati at five. If the Oregon tackle falls to five and Cincinnati can grab him along with Jonah Williams, all of a sudden Joey Burrow has two bookend tackles going forward. Could be a really good thing. And I mentioned Philly at six having the opportunity to jump up without giving up an early third round pick to do so. So wild card weekend is set. Of course, the NFL has a label for it. It's super wild card weekend. Super. Yay. Great. Give me a break. It's freaking wild card weekend. The Bills kick things off Sunday, Saturday at one o'clock. First game and Bills fans very upset. Oh, we get no respect. We're on Saturday at one. It's the lowest rated time. So what? You're playing in the playoffs at home. Who cares when it's on? No matter what, if you put it on at midnight on a Tuesday night and everyone's got to work Wednesday, you'd all still watch. It doesn't matter to me when these games are. The next game on Saturday is the Rams at Seattle, and that's Seattle defense. I don't know if Jared Goff is able to go. Warford went on Sunday for the Rams in a game they had to win and did. I don't know if Goff is back. To me, if Seattle can run the football a little bit against that Rams defensive line led by Aaron Donald, take some pressure off Russell Wilson, they're going to win easily because I don't think the Rams can score a whole lot of points against what's become a great Seattle defense over the second half of the season. 
Tampa against Washington football team is the late game on Saturday. Of course, Tom Brady in primetime. I'm calling it. Calling for an upset. Washington is going to beat Tampa. Brady is going to meet Chase Young. And Chase Young, I, I didn't like that he said, I'm coming for you, Tom Brady. Yeah, I, I get it. You're a young kid. I love Chase Young. I love everything about him. He's a leader. He's a stud on the field. He's disciplined. I was watching the game on Sunday night. And how many times with an athletic quarterback like Jalen Hurts did he just stay in his lane and play contain? Looks like he's quitting on the play. No, he's doing what he's coached to do. Now, with Brady, you don't have to worry about that. He can rush the passer. Tom Brady's going to be right where he expects him to be. It's going to be a lot to ask of Brady to go against this young Washington defensive line. Jonathan Allen, another name on that line, who's playing great football. So we'll see where it goes from there. Sunday, I think the game of the weekend is the Ravens and Titans game. This game, whoever can continue to run the football will win. you got two quarterbacks who are capable in the passing game. Both athletic enough. I think both defenses slightly overrated. Maybe Tennessee's not rated at all because they haven't been playing good football. I don't think Baltimore's defense is a traditional Ravens defense. The young kid, the linebacker from LSU, Queen, is very good. But I think that they struggle a little bit at the back end. We'll see where it goes uh, in that one. But I think that should be a great game. Bears going down to the Big Easy to play the Saints. Drew Brees looked better on Sunday, getting more healthy. Again, I've said it all year. Saints go as far as that defense takes them. And then the nightcap Sunday, Cleveland-Pittsburgh rematch. Look, Cleveland didn't look great. Pittsburgh had nothing to play for and rested all their good players. Cleveland won. If Kevin Stefanski stays disciplined and runs the football with Nick Chubb and Mixon, Kareem Hunt, takes the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands, Cleveland wins this game. If they try to throw it, or if Pittsburgh gets up early, I think that Pittsburgh wins this game easily. It's got to be ground first for Cleveland. So that's the weekend in the NFL. A lot of NFL as we wrap up the regular season in a regular season, unlike any other. Just one other topic for this week. The Sabres opened camp this week, and You know, it's interesting to me that in Buffalo right now, it's all Bills all the time. And the Bills have been a a great boost for all of us in Western New York during this pandemic. You know, just having the local team do so well, it's it's, it's been fun. Now the Sabres come along. They haven't made the playoffs since I think ice was invented. But this team, what are the expectations? And here's where it gets a little interesting. They've had some pretty good additions this year. They bring in guys like Taylor Hall, Eric Stahl. They also have a young kid who's really good in Dylan Cousins, who's tearing it up right now at the World Junior Championships. So where does this team get better? How does this team get better? To me, I look at it, the defense is still the same. You know, last year, Rasmus Dahlin took a step backward. And I don't know if he didn't fit in Ralph Kruger's system as well. He and Kruger got into it. Whatever the case may be, Dahlin needs to step forward. Ristolainen, the other first defenseman, needs to have a better year. Last year just wasn't good. The defense overall wasn't good. The goaltending, Carter Hutton and Linus Allmark, they're back. They're not any better. The goaltending is what it is. So the question is, how does this team get better? Is there enough depth now after the top six on offense that allows them to get better? Does Taylor Hall make Jack Eichel even better? And I think the guy that benefits there may be Victor Olofsson because he's a guy who just has a knack of putting the puck in the net. And that, those guys are few and far between. But, man, do you like to have them on your side? Who can take Kyle Ocposo, Jeff Skinner? Are these guys going to reinvent themselves again? I mean, Ocposo's dealt with the concussion, so it's tough to say he hasn't lived up to his deal. But you look at Skinner, he's a guy who's making a whole bunch of money and just hasn't produced. 
So, you know, there's a lot of lot of room for him to improve. Young guy like Casey Middlestad, is this year he takes that step forward? Or again, does Dylan Cousins come in and secure a spot on one of the top th- top three lines and, and all of a sudden become an impact rookie? So I guess there's reason to be a little bit optimistic. I think that the schedule is going to be difficult because they're playing in a very difficult division. I don't expect the playoffs. I hope for improvement. I hope for better hockey. I was encouraged that the Amherst apparently have opted into the AHL, and it's looking like they're going to try to put together a 30-game season. At the same time, I'm somewhat nervous about it because if I'm Terry Pagula or Kim Pagula, whoever is making these final decisions, and I have a 30-game season with no fans for an AHL team, I'm not going to put that team in Rochester this year. I'm going to have them play out of Buffalo. Keep the team training in Buffalo where you can keep a better eye on them. You only need one set of trainers, doctors, everyone around. It it just makes things easier because everyone's under the same roof. I, I think that it would be a better financial situation keeping them in Buffalo. And as Rochester resident, scares me a little bit thinking about this could be an easy first step into possibly moving the Amherst to Buffalo full-time. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope I'm overthinking it. But it's we're not going to be able to go see them in Rochester anyway. Why would they have them play here when everything else is in Buffalo? just seems to make more sense that way. I Again, hope I'm overthinking it. hope it doesn't happen. It's something to keep an eye on for sure. That's it for this week. Go Bills. Enjoy the playoffs. We'll talk next week, hopefully recap it. Very happy Saturday afternoon for Buffalo. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. 